Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. I'm Vry, I'm a managing content editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. You can find me on Twitter, at WriterVry, where I post my freelance stuff. And you can find the other podcast I co-host about trash media, at TrashPod. And with me today are Mercedes and Alex. Um, so hi, my name's Mercedes. I am an editor at Anime Feminist, and I am also a Japanese to English localization editor, proofreader, and QA. Uh, I wear a lot of hats. I do a lot of pop culture writing, and you can find the podcast that I host at at Shovelcast on Twitter. It's a school life podcast. So yay! yay. Cool. Uh, hello, everybody. I am Alex. I'm a contributions editor here at Anifem. Uh, in my daytime life, I am a researcher and a soon-to-be PhD haver. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter, where I link my writing and various ramblings about books and anime and all that sort of fun stuff, at The Aficionado. Yeah. Woo! Good job, team. Today... <laughs> We are finally getting around to a podcast that I think we've been kicking around the idea of since the site started, but it felt especially apropos now because we are officially in the 10th anniversary of the incredibly influential magical girl series, Puella Magi Madoka Magica. Yay! Yay. God, can you believe that the series is a decade old? I was, uh, no. I was a freshman. I was a freshman when this came out in college. Oh. oh. Uh, yes, can- the passage of time. I yeah, there's a lot of like it's just this very morning I saw an announcement for the uh, Anohana 10th anniversary Ooh. celebration, and I had another moment mm-hmm. of oh, that was a decade of my life ago. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's fine. It's it's all it's fine. <laughs> you sound like that dog that's sitting in the fire <laughs> in that meme. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I already kind of had my moment because I actually watched Madoka a, a couple months after everybody else because I was busy watching the second core of Tiger and Bunny as it aired. Uh, and uh, that- they announced that season two a few months ago. Oh my Wait, God, I'm Tiger sorry. And- excuse me. Excuse me. Time for a breakdown. Is Tiger and Bunny a decade old? Yeah, it, it aired oh. in winter and spring of 2011. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Wow. Wow, winter and spring 2011 really came for the gays, the bi's, the queers, the lesbians. It came uh-huh. for all of us. It, came <laughs> it was a powerful us. season. Oh, wow. It was. God. Jeez. <laughs> uh, as you can tell, everybody on the cast today has already seen Madoka once. It's There are people out there who haven't, but it's a little hard to find. So this is one of our rewatch-along style podcast if you want folks watching it for the first time i believe the me and utana podcast did a side trip uh to their first time watching madoka so that's a little bit more of a fresh newbie take we will however be following our usual rewatch along rules which is that while we may allude to stuff that happens in later episodes we will keep the discussion to stuff we watched for this week which was episodes one through six and won't include any major spoilers so if you are in fact somebody who waited for the nfm podcast to try madoka for the first time you're good <laughs> some basic background info before we get into it uh as i mentioned madoka magica aired in winter 2011 from january through april it was a little bit delayed uh the last two episodes were held off because of 311 
which was uh, the 2011 tsunami mm-hmm. that hit Japan. Yeah. Uh, the the studio had production delays, obviously, but it was also uh, because of content issues that they held off on airing the, the finale for a little longer. Yeah. Which yeah. I, I will say as someone, I guess this is a weird thing to connect, as someone who actually lived in Fukushima for four years and visited the coast frequently, I fully understand why they held off. Yeah, I, I think it was the respectful thing to do. Yeah, it, it absolutely yeah. was. There was a lot of outcry at the time from American fans um, about, mm, my animus late. But my animus. God, they animus. did the right thing, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this series has four major figures that get talked about as part of the creation of its design, uh, known as the Magica Quartet. It was co-directed by Miyamoto Yukihiro, who worked predominantly on the Zetsubo Sensei sequels, and Shinbo, or Simbo, as uh, Anime News Network notes, is his preferred romanticization. Akiyuki, who is one of the cornerstone directors of Shaft Studios, the production studio that uh, is... They were famous before Madoka, but now they're the Madoka studio. I was going to say, they had a a lot before Madoka. Like, let's give them some props. Well, and uh, Simbo is part of that reason, because he also directed uh, Bakemonogatari, which was (gasps) arguably the bit, the, the, the series that shot Studio Shaft into stardom. Like, I think people like Sukeyomi, but uh, it's not like juggernaut success in the same way yeah bake monogatari is i mean and i say this knowing that i'm absolute garbage for kind of liking bake monogatari because it's got capital problems it's good it's good mercedes don't even worry about it because we're going to be talking about urobochi uh head writer for the show urobochi again um so at some point i'm going to mention that i used to really really love fate zero and the fate franchise and i still kind of do so don't worry <laughs> oh man i was really ready for you to say song of siam my dude nope no, no, no. not that deep um <laughs> though oh my god uh, yes so, in, a, no, okay. in one of the <laughs> in one of the few cases where the series composer is more associated with the series than its director among anime fans. Uh, this was written primarily by Irobuchi uh, Gen, who is best known for Fate Zero and now afterwards for Psychopaths, although before this he had primarily done a lot of work at the game studio Nitro Plus mm-hmm. and Nitro Chiro. It's it, Nitro Chiro, it's BL. It's got uh, that good DMMD. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Wait, is, is that good or am I lying to myself? I really, listen, I really like dramatical, mer- I really have a soft spot for Nitro Chiral shit, but <laughs> it, is, it has, a, a, to use your phrase, a problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're all, we're all in the quote unquote problematic dirt. We're all, it's okay. Nothing here is cringe. Nothing here is trash. We're all in a safe space. <laughs> it's fine. And to round out the four, we have uh, Aoki Ume, who was the character designer. And this is kind of her main claim to fame. I Really? This is what people know Aoki Ume for? Does Hidamari's sketch get no love? I mean, world? other than taking up maybe two pages of the Sentai catalog, I don't think it ever hit quite as big in the West. God. I know its fans are quite devoted. Am I the only American with taste on this I'm planet? Sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. 
okay. Yeah, so Madoka, I think we will get a little bit, we'll get more into it as we go along, but suffice it to say, if you're a younger fan, Madoka came at this very odd juncture between where it was kind of at the end of the Moe boom of the 2000s that had kind of petered out and died off. Uh, we were getting into, we were still kind of in the point where you saw some two core original series, but it wasn't as common. Whereas nowadays one core is basically the given, unless it comes right. with a really famous production staff. There is before Madoka and after Madoka. I really cannot emphasize enough how much this series impacted. This this series this series codified an entire subgenre of magical girl shows that we are still seeing now. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's yeah. amazing. Well, amazing is a word. I mean, I mean, and when I say amazing, I don't mean that positively necessarily, y'all. I'm just saying <laughs> it's, it's a, amazing. It's a complicated <laughs> brew. That I'm yeah, sure we'll get now, into. I think a decade out, it can finally almost be time to kind of just look at Madoka as a series in what works and what doesn't, and not just with the simmering resentment <laughs> for all of the lesser followers that it spawned. Yeah, which I'm sure is how Mecha fans feel about Ava. <laughs> Probably so. I would. I would have to imagine. I would have mm-hmm. to absolutely, or maybe how I feel about Love Live. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure it is I'm sure that that is I, similar come into my DMs you know me y'all pop in <laughs> ready I'm ready I'm, I'm sticking to that anyway <laughs> alright so when did you two originally watch uh, Madoka so well I'm we have established I'm the baby of the Annie fam family at least in the staff so this will really cement that uh, I was in year 11 when this came out oh. uh, which is the 11th grade to you foreigners. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Baby. Yeah. So this was really interesting because this was like me still being very much 18 TM, but also me uh, getting much more into looking at media critically and really unpacking themes and characters and writerly tendencies that I found really interesting and why they did or didn't work. So I will I will confess for a hot minute there, um, you know, my baby self caught up and like, wow, this is so cool and like deep and dark and like the the themes of heroism and idealism, um, which then kind of looped in on itself like an Ouroboros a couple of years later, I was like, man, which yeah, the simmering resentment came. Um, yeah. And as I alluded to before, uh, the first core of Fade Zero also aired end of 2011 going into 2012. And as anyone who has followed my blog presence from, I want to say about like 2013 to 2016 will know very well, I developed a very storied love-hate relationship with his work. Um, Again, particularly Fate stuff, but also Psycho Pass going onwards. Um, Honestly, as a slight tangent, he's a really interesting writer to have followed because, as you said before, Vry, he started off in that really kind of, uh, you know, like Nitro Plus weird kind of deep dark and gritty stuff but now he's working on like godzilla and thunderbolt fantasy and things that i understand are much more like lighthearted and i don't know like i don't want to make speculations about his personal life but i kind of have to wonder i'm like are you good man did you get something out of your system are you doing much better now um <laughs> in any case Modoka is a series that's very special to me um and it's a really interesting one to rewatch every few years because 
it kind of says something different to me at each stage of my life that I return to it. Um, and yeah, I have a lot of sort of, I don't know, I have some fun milestones associated with it. For example, the first uh, paid feature article I ever had was that Dark Magical Girl piece that I wrote for you guys way back in 2017. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, Madoka is very much part of my journey as, you know, a media critic, I suppose. And I love it a lot. If anyone like knows me from that 2017 article and is worried that like the Madoka hater has logged on. No, no, not at all. I really love this series. I acknowledge that, yeah, it exists in a complicated space, but I'm right or die for this series. I care for it a lot. So that's me. That's me and Madoka. Oh, neat. I like that though. That's interesting. So I watched Madoka week by week and yeah, I'll admit I was in college. I didn't watch it legally. I, I work in localization now. I was vice president of Anime Club. We watched it probably on Kiss Anime, but we watched it weekly. Um, and I remember because because I didn't grow up watching a lot of Magical Girl shows. Um, like I've never seen Sailor Moon. I've never seen Cardcaptor Sakura because I hadn't grown up watching a lot of Magical Girl shows. But I read a lot of Magical Girl manga. Madoka kind of codified a lot of tropes in the genre in that first watch that first kind of inaugural watch when I saw it in Mm -hmm. 2011 I also just want to say like I I love this series I have a lot of passion for it I'm also very willing to critique it as an adult but it was really influential for me afterwards it kind of kicked off and reignited this passion for magical girls that I had um I had been into like a lot of magical girl warriors. I was really into magical um, magic night ray earth. I went through mm. a really big, like mermaid pitchy, pitchy pitch phase. <gasps> yes. Um, <laughs> but Sorry, like, I love that Mon- series. <laughs> it's, so it's a good series. It's a good series. And it's also very dark. Um, but Monica, <laughs> Monica was so hyped at the time that like, I was fully on board, like watching week to week, the twist that are kind of infamous for the series, all of those things really appealed to me. Um, When I saw it in 2011, I was a freshman in college and I was also under the impression that I was het. So um, (laughs) it was a very different different time. (laughs) It was a very different time for Mercedes Um, (laughs) y'all. And so like this show kind of, became this very powerful thing because I'm just going to say it outright. Madoka's a very queer show. I feel like in this show, mm-hmm. you either die het or you live long enough to become a magical girl by. And that's <laughs> the two roots you kind of have. Um, because it's, it's, there are also lesbians. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Don't want to erase, <laughs> don't erase my sapphics. Um, because yeah, I mean, it's, it's just this inherently powerful show about girls and women. But I think like Alex, my, point of view on it has changed as I've gotten older mm-hmm. but yeah that's my little kind of background the OP and the ending slap still mm-hmm. those the are good they the do. soundtrack good. is so good always good oh, so it, taste it is it's great taste it is fantastically made like one thing that can never be taken away from Madoka is how absolutely perfectly constructed it is oh, at every yes. step my god the mm-hmm. sound design is wonderful and i mean i know we're about to get into this i just have to say like the opening of the show has this beautiful mm-hmm. no music just ambient sound design and it's so good mm-hmm. and it's very emblematic of like how excellently constructed a lot of things in the show is are mm-hmm. 
art. Is art. Words are hard. I um, mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. But what's your Madoka origin story, Bri? Yeah. Uh, I actually, I, I feel like I, I always missed out by not having as nuclear strong feelings on Madoka as as everybody else because I came to it I was um I was a junior in college when it aired and like I said I was watching Tiger and Bunny was the show that I was watching oh. Oh. Uh, the way enjoy enjoy that the, the gap between episodes 24 and 25 oh, the week-long gap <laughs> um brutality so I did not go through what I assume must have been the brutal experience of the weekly cliffhangers. I binged it all at once a couple of months later. Yeah. yeah well, and I guess, I guess too, you avoided when, when the show went on its rightful break, you avoided that gap between yep. episodes 10 and 11 and 12, which I mean, like I said, I think obviously I think we're all in agreement that, you know, a, the largest earthquake to hit the region of Japan and the tsunami that ensued, those two events took precedence over anime. Yeah. Um, And if I'm just going to say, if you're listening to this in 2021 and you don't feel that way, um, you're incorrect. I don't don't have a thing. I hope (laughs) you step on Legos. (laughs) (laughs) So I, um, I remember I like, I I'm very fond of Madoka, uh, but I, I actually have a Homura figure, figure on my shelf right now. She, I, I have, I have a big bow. plush of Sayaka uh, sitting on top of my bookshelf watching I, over me as we speak. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. Sayaka and Mommy, those are my two girls. Aww. Ride or die. Ride or die. It is very interesting to me that I think in addition to the the issues of intended marketing, which we'll get into, Madoka happened to air right as streaming was kind of starting to take off yeah like it didn't have the quick turnaround that it has now even even if you had prime subscriptions there was still a one week delay back in 20 2010 to 2012 but this was maybe the first time that a much wider audience was seeing a show as it aired and I think that's why Madoka is actually quite impactful is that Madoka sits at this really interesting gateway to what we now have, which is simulcasting. Madoka sits mm-hmm. at kind of the beginning of when anime was starting to become much, it was moving out of being so niche. It was becoming a lot mm-hmm. more mainstream. Cause like you can, you can talk to most people and they'll be like, Oh, I, I know that, that green haired kid from that My Hero Academia or Naruto or Goku. Mm-hmm. That's very common today. And Madoka was kind of at the cusp of like this really big level of transparency of anime becoming much more widely available outside of Japan in legal mm-hmm. capacities. And I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like I, I am not a magical girl enthusiast. I'm just sort of a casual fan. I've read a lot of the biggest series, but I, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but you know, I might get grumpy that a lot of the really big meta genre commentary things that Madoka has at that that Madoka gets praised for were things that Princess Tutu did a do- a decade before, but mm, yeah. it has to be acknowledged that Princess Tutu was licensed at the time, but it was locked behind, you know, you'd have to spend 60 bucks on a DVD and it wasn't available online anywhere. And that's a steep barrier to entry for people who don't necessarily know where to look. Right. And I think, I think too, for a lot of like younger fans, I think a lot of Gen Z, this might've been their first anime for magical girls i think that's also kill kill. people those two were big deals yeah i mean like you know i think 
because I, I remember having friends who like this was their first magical girl anime and that I, I think that that kind of codifies things. It kind of makes me think of like Sailor Moon fans are very passionate. And for a lot of them, Sailor Moon was their first, A, their first anime, or B, it was their first magical girl anime. And so it kind of mm-hmm. codifies what you think of as the tropes of the genre, which I don't yes. think is a bad thing. You know? Yeah, like it's it's kind of interesting. I'm trying to think. In a way, this was kind of my first magical girl series because... When I was younger, I had a real allergy to anything that was obviously made for girls. I was like, nah, I'm watching Digimon. This sucks. Um, So I kind of came into the genre sideways later in life, trying to sort of remedy that, you know, yeah, watching, reading those classics like Mermaid Melody and getting into Precure, um, which is why it's so exciting now. You can watch Precure legally, um, which, yes, I will admit I, I did. We did also Pirate Madoka at the time, but you know, I now live in a house of three and somehow we have four different copies of this series <laughs> on various combinations of Blu-ray and DVD. So I like to think that I made up for it. <laughs> and I think I think it's interesting that you said made for girls because Monica is not, the target audience is not women or girls at all. It's men. Like, and I think, I think people often find that shocking when you say Monica is a seinen anime. It was not made for women at all. And I think that that kind of, as an adult a decade later, I feel a certain level of discomfort that I didn't initially because I didn't know what the word seinen meant. As an adult, knowing that the show with eighth and ninth grade girls was made for a male gaze and made for a male audience, I want to protect all these children so much. (laughs) That's just always the mood. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those weird ones too that like even if it was directed like even if it's officially labeled as seinen then I think it's a lot of ones that kind of like we talked about with our Yuri episode if it's even if it's directed at a certain audience in theory a lot of female fans have and you know women fans and people who fans who aren't dudes is a better way of putting it have mm-hmm. really latched onto it because it spoke to them like whether or not it was right. intended for them quote unquote well then, yes and you know. no, because I I do think we have to t- uh, talk about yeah that that issue of genre and what it did because like there's this interview with uh, the one of the producers Iwakami Atsuhiro that mm-hmm. talks about how they set out and their prime goals when constructing the series were we want to make something that appeals to a general audience um, and you know sort of some talk about how. They specifically name dropped Minky Momo. So that lets them know that that kind of gives you a, a an idea of where their heads were at with the evolution of the Magical Girl series is they're making a show in 2011 and they referenced something from the 80s. Uh, but well, but I wonder if they referenced it because of how Minky Momo ends. Right. Put a pin <laughs> in that. Um but it, it is also interesting to me that he he also says we didn't do Madoka as an antithesis to this show, these shows. It was purely based on the idea of what it would be like to do a dark story on a magical girl stage, which is, you know, you I think we can argue whether or not intent out Trump's effect. Uh, but I think that's interesting in that Madoka is often accused of being sort of a send up of the magical girl genre and it's. And that wasn't necessarily what they were aiming for. But yeah, uh, Minky Momo is relevant in that uh, she famously gets hit by a truck and dies. That's not the ending, but it does happen pretty late in the game. Apparently, I looked this up because basically the character was pretty popular 
but the show wasn't selling enough of to- enough toys to the right audience, basically. Oh, no. She gets hit by a truck carrying toys. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like some animators had some opinions. I don't mean to laugh because obviously animated children getting hit by a truck is not funny. But like it's a little funny. But like, I mean, they literally killed Minky Momo. <laughs> and then they Don't reincarnate her. <laughs> they re- I mean, she comes She comes back as a foster child, which like... No, no, no. She was a foster child. She comes back right. as the biological child of yeah. the family she'd been yeah. living with. I guess, but then she- I guess they like were like, okay, you get to come back as their child again? It, I They hit her with a truck. And, yeah, and then the last, <laughs> the last core of episodes is like she's fighting inside of her own, uh, inside of a girl's dream to, it's very odd oh my god oh my god minky momo wonder eggs uh-huh oh yeah god. it's minky momo i wish we could I, I wish i could watch legally it sounds like a trip which actually is a it is good to note that yes magical girl shows are often dark because i think one of the things we kind of do have to acknowledge about madoka is a lot of women and, and like marginalized gender people in general like Madoka and took a lot out of it, but it was also pretty largely responsible for what you call the menification of the magical girl genre. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, which, I mean, we can get into this more in our second episode of this, but the real reason that rattles my chains is because like the fact that this is a dark and gritty take on the magical girl tropes we're familiar with is not actually the most interesting thing about the series nor do i think it's the point of the series like you get to the end and you know it it doesn't it kind of puts some of those things that it took apart back together so i feel like it's a classic case of that you know that that meme where it's just like wow cool robot and everything goes over you know going over your head of just like people saw that the show was successful and was like, well, obviously it's successful because it's beating up these cutely dressed 14 year olds. Uh, let's and, do that. And uh, profit. Yeah. But that's not why the show has such staying power or such impact. I don't think. Yeah. Not one bit, not one bit. And I'm, I'm with you, Alex. The, the most interesting thing about the show is absolutely not the grittiness. It's so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do wonder how much of it is the fact that Madoka is somewhat unique among magical girl anime. Uh, bef- not so much anymore because you have like stuff like Review Starlight and Flip Flappers and the stuff that's kind of becoming positive magical girl anime post Madoka. But at the time, it was one of the only single core shows. So that's it's true. kind of. Yeah, it might have it, been a lot more bite sized and accessible. Yeah, and and it it's only what yeah it's twelve episodes so like it's very you can sit down for six and a half hours and knock it out. Yeah, and like when you look at the twist structure that it's famous for, if we take say episode six and the soul gem reveal, that's around the same time, give or take in say Ray Earth halfway through where you learn that the girls got brought to their to their fantasy world for a really dark reason. Oh boy, is it dark. Oh god. So, well and 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 to go off of that, if you think about like episode 3 and that kind of sudden twist, a lot of anime have an episode 3 twist where like the rug gets pulled out from beneath the character, something really tragic happens, and that's how you know we mean business. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this is the anime that came to mind, but ReZero comes to mind with that. 
mm-hmm. where like episode three, it really gets you and you're like, oh, we're not playing around. This is a different kind of isekai. And I think that only kind of really exists because Madoka did it first and it did these twists that a lot of younger fans and creatives saw and it did them so impactfully for people that mm-hmm. it, it kind of became like, okay, the the genre maker, you know? Even then, looking at looking at it on the expanded time frame, if we look at episode three is a quarter of the way through the show, a quarter of the way through the first season of Sailor Moon, you introduce uh, Nephrite and Zoicide, who are the first antagonists who uh, are trying to kill people, as, as opposed to as opposed to wacky Jadeites workout schemes. So, like, it tracks, but this is small and accessible and bite sized versions, so people aren't giving up from the early character episodes and they're like whoa this is the first this is the first time i've ever seen this it's so revolutionary <laughs> and like yeah, i kind of want to talk absolutely. about that um that episode three twist as well because i think that a lot of the mythology around the show became this idea that you start watching and the first couple episodes are like a really normal pink and bubbly magical girl show and then bazam suddenly she gets her head bitten off oh my gosh um but i don't think that's at all accurate to how it actually plays out like no because it's it it is it is a very um and i i hesitate to use this word because i think it gets used a lot with monica and i don't necessarily agree from it it is deconstructive from Mm -hmm. the beginning like from the moment that we have this beautiful scene in episode one where Monica is walking through what i call the persona Four golden hallway (laughs) because it's just like this long black and white kind of harlequin print hallway that she's walking in it's just her footsteps mm-hmm. and she opens the door and there's Walsh Perkis notch mm-hmm. like and you get like which, the which, which gets which, like- yeah which which i mean pretty much gets revealed instantly like that it's this it's this there's this giant thing that's being fought against um and you see this black-haired girl and like the anvils get dropped like you know that this is going to be a little bit more of a serious show mm-hmm. um so I think yeah. I do think that that lead up of like, oh, okay, like episode three is where it gets started. No, yeah, it's like it tells grim you. from the beginning. Yeah, like it has that great establishment, which, as you say, the sound design and the atmosphere in that scene is so good. And yeah, it tells you mm. what it's about. Um, which of course, you know, it's a fun scene to rewatch because it's, when you finish the show, you know what it all means. Um, right. But if you're unfamiliar, it does so good at drawing you in to this, you know, yeah, this this surreal, frightening, violent world. Um, so, you know, that's there from the beginning. So I think it's totally unfair to say that the mammy twist comes out of nowhere. And on top of that, the first couple episodes, they're ominous as hell. Like, yeah. it does yeah. a really good job building unease into yeah. just the undercurrent through everything. And I I would say more than mommy's head getting bitten off is when Monica's like, oh, you can't mix those chemicals. You can't do that. That scene is terrifying, actually. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. There's, but there's a lot of horror mm-hmm. that's happening before the uncanniness of Homura and how much she knows is really uneasy, and they do really well. And I, I should say, like we haven't said what we watched. I watched the dub. Okay. Yes, please tell me a little bit about the dub because I have I've seen some short clips from yeah. when they announced the dub actors. But... So I watched the dub because I stand Christina V very hard <laughs> i really Hello. like her as, i like her as a voice actress um i followed her since before she became a voice actress um and she plays homura and she gives homura this really 
her the voice she does for homer is really really good it's this kind of slightly world weary but also slightly haughty kind of voice Hmm. um like homer kind of comes off like something something's not right about her right because she knows too much but like every time she talks to Monica, she almost is kind of talking down to her a little bit like you stupid girl do what i'm telling you so you don't become a problem kind of vibe which i think actually is really interesting because it's kind of how homura comes off in these first few episodes is like mm-hmm. homura knows best the rest of you all are foolish <laughs> which then raises that question of like well why what is she talking about which right. I know we've said we're not going to go spoilers, so I'm not going to talk about it. But yeah. I will say um, the foreshadowing in this show is excellent. It is so much fun to really rewatch well because you pick up on so much. Just like <laughs> my favorite thing is just like Sayaka's joking around at like the mall and she ends up spoiling like one of the really big twists of the show just because she's like messing around. Um, but yeah, Homer is really fascinating to watch. All the other characters are really fascinating to watch as well, just, like, because you know where they're going to end up. Yeah. And and I I have to say, like, you said spoiling. Like, I know we can't talk about certain things, but y'all, there was a point where I almost screamed involving Sayaka. <laughs> um, I think it was an episode, goodness me, it might have been in, like, episode four? Mm. So, like, and, and I should say, Sayaka in the dub is really well voice acted. She's kind of downrange, which mm. is nice to hear. Because, you know, a lot of times, like, you hear higher-pitched girls. And the reality is, is a lot of AFAB people don't have high voices. I don't have a high voice. Um, at least I don't feel I certainly do. Um, and so it's nice to hear a little bit more of a downrange kind of girl. But, um like Sayaka is beautifully voice acted and there's a scene that stuck out to me this time. And it is when Sayaka and Kyosuke are sitting in the hospital and he is listening to flaxen, the girl with the flaxen hair. And I immediately was like, Hmm, I wonder what girl in the cast has flaxen hair that we've seen. And it explained a lot about what we'll talk about in the back half with Sayaka's whole wish and Mm -hmm. the ordeal it puts her through because I was like, Oh girl with the flaxen hair oh no that's not gonna work out well um it's it's just very beautifully like it's really well done Mm -hmm. still so much about the show is just impeccably thoughtfully detailed like i there like there are moments where it's a little proud to show its flourishes and honestly i can't blame it like uh when when they give qb a line about how since sayaka wished somebody for, for somebody to heal she has you know regenerative abilities and it you know you you can tell that there are just pages apparently and i haven't seen the book but apparently there is a fully written out version of the witch's language so people have yeah. like decoded the names yeah. and stuff but yeah th- there are so many like little details that i like so much like the fact that sayaka thinks so highly of mommy and her sword uh attack split uh is a thrown circle around her like mommy's muskets even though that doesn't necessarily make sense for her real quick can we talk about mommy and how like i believe in my own personal notes (laughs) i gotta find the line because i'm kind of proud of it i said mommy woke up one day and was like my power is gun and never looked back (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's a mage with one power and it is gun Um. i mean and because i i really liked mommy this watch around um, Me too. I really liked her character. I think she is 
it you you get this really full arc about who exactly mommy is and like also um i love her apartment it's real great mm-hmm. um but like you get this very full arc about who exactly mommy is what exactly her ethos is and how exactly she got roped into being a magical girl mm-hmm. yeah mommy and i think, and I think is, it's oh, really sorry. well done oh no mm-hmm. i was oh go on go on <laughs> i was just gonna say mommy i think to me is maybe the best example of the efficiency of the writing because really mm-hmm. we only know her for maybe an episode and a half which is like what's that like 20 like 30 minutes max what like yeah like maybe we i would say maybe we get like 35 minutes yeah but like in that time we know like you said we know basically everything we need to know about her to see her as a fully fleshed out person Mm -hmm. enough that the tragedy of losing her really hits like it's super effective and it it Mm. kind of i don't know i can understand people feeling as though her death is like the big shock that turned people away and she didn't need to die but but is it it works really well in the narrative and the thing as well which which is another point uh on the board that you know this being a dark and gritty suffering series is not the point it really doesn't linger on the gory details of her death like i think a lot about that shot like you see her fall but instead of you know panning over her corpse or anything it shows that scene of the spilled tea and it zooms in on that and that's like the stand-in and you understand the horror from that i would say actually that 10 years later what i appreciate about appreciate about that scene is it shows the immediate trauma Mm -hmm. because monica and sayaka leave and they break down Mm -hmm. they cannot handle that they literally just saw some a someone their age and b someone that they cared about as a friend die yeah and And i mean it it affects like monica cries over breakfast the next day and her mom is like hey what's up sweetie and she's like i'm just really glad that breakfast was so good because she's glad because she's alive yeah monica like talk about it right like i i believe i also might have written my notes monica stared death in the face and all she wants is an omelet for breakfast yeah like it is heartbreaking. And I mean, you know, I'm I'm joking, but like, I'm also joking to keep from crying because it's this really <laughs> immensely touching scene of like, Monica has to move through that grief. And what it does is Monica moves in one direction and Sayaka moves in a very different direction. Oh, yes. With how they manifest their grief. And I think it's, it felt like actually, it felt like these were writers who were writing actual teenage girls because mm-hmm. I think when you're a teenager, emotions feel a million times bigger because you're for the first time learning autonomy over how you want to emote Mm -hmm. and that's a really big shift from as a child where you're encouraged to emote freely to as a teenager you are encouraged to emote with restraint because that's what adults do and you're becoming an adult and it felt like they actually understood like the tension that a specifically a Japanese teenager might have in a society where you are supposed to split split your public face and your private face very differently. Like Monica has to make up something because she can't talk about this very private thing because her mother and her father are not part of the in-group of magical girls. Monica is barely part of that in-group. So is Sayaka, but like still they've seen this really horrific thing and they have to cope somehow. It's really well done. It's really well done. I'll say one of my problems with the series is I, I actually... I really did appreciate the mommy arc uh, much more this watch than I have the last 
couple times I watched it because I I w- appreciated how careful it is to craft how much how how foreshadowed her her death is purely through her decision making process and the fact that she's so lonely that she pushes you can see her pushing past things she, that she should be careful about and that the show flags that are reckless actions for her through Homer and and QB so it feels like oh this is a natural consequence of the fact that she slipped up and it's i think it is the sense it's the sense of good tragedy where you can't see where it felt inevitable that we came to this point when you came back and look at it. I don't think the series always pulls that off. I yeah. think as part of Orobuchi's writing, he's sort of infamous for turning his characters into mouthpieces for viewpoints at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely times in this stretch where it's like like he told me getting a witch's kiss on her because we need Madoka to be at this place and in danger. Or yeah. especially my big sticking point with the series is when Sayaka makes that shift to every magical girl except for mommy is evil and I hate them. I do not buy that character shift. It's just that we need her to be at this extreme place right yeah. now. It, I was going to say it if there had been some buildup with that, I would believe that a lot more. I, I'd I, buy I'm it after a, 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 a after a stretch of time, but it's definitely where the economy. Yeah, it comes really suddenly because, like it, in a way, it almost feels like there's two Sayaka. Like there's mm. there's a Sayaka. There, I like there's a Sayaka that you would believe would get to this point, and there's a Sayaka that we get that you're like, sweet baby angel. Do, See, did that... you wake up today and decide to like? <laughs> and I mean, that, that... That, that's, that's also per- that's also a personal opinion, I think, too, though for sure. Yeah, that's really interesting because, like, again, as you said, Mercedes, they they feel very young, and I think that's something I can appreciate much more now that I am older, and there like there is more distance between my age and the age of the characters. Um, Sayaka feels like so fundamentally fourteen to me. It's kind of impressive. Um, like all the ways that she is annoying, all the ways that I love her. I'm like, yeah, this is this is you being quintessentially eighteen. Like mm-hmm. it feels very because I mean she shows up with the cape for superheroes and the sword oh, so for the knight good. in shining armor. She clearly has a very black and white sense of good and right. bad, and that's really right. interesting because. It ties into, you know, the whole ideology that she gets swept up in. I like Sayaka is a super interesting character for me to revisit because I first watched this. She was my favorite, and she really resonated with me, um, and I really related a lot to her, like her steadfast optimism and the way she always leapt to help people and her dedication to putting others before herself. Um, and it makes it interesting to rewatch because now with more distance, I'm like oh, I see a lot of my younger self in Sayaka and that's maybe not the best thing. Maybe some of these, like, you know, the self-sacrificing tendencies and that sense of, you know, I must put, I must be the hero, I must be the saviour, I must fix, fix, fix. Maybe that's not so good. Maybe I need to work on that. Um. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm very invested in Shinji Akari. I feel you. <laughs> well, and it's it's funny that you say the self-sacrificing because, like, yeah, Sayaka's literal power is self-sacrifice. It's just, re- it happens that it rebounds onto her through her ability to heal, but, like, it, 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 it's literally like she has to sacrifice her body to access that ability to regenerate. Um, and I, I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people who are raised AFAB 
especially are encouraged under the idea of femininity that sacrificing yourself is one of the most feminine things you can do. Yes, and it has a nobility to it. Yeah, and I don't think that that's a purely, and I hate using the word Western because it does have these really negative connotations nowadays because of Nazis and they won't let us have anything fun because they hate. But like Western, mm. Western cultures often push that, but I actually think that's a much more global thing. I think the way that women, and when I say women, I think I, I do mean anyone who's assigned female at birth or anyone who aligns themselves with femininity or being female. I think that anyone who's assigned female as an identity is really encouraged that the best, most forthright thing you can do is to sacrifice yourself and sacrifice for a man, sacrifice for your children, sacrifice for other people. But what's hidden in that is this kind of QBS contract of like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're sacrificing, but like are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it solely for others with no return? Which makes Sayaka, yeah, super interesting, which like small tangent, watching Kubei's group, like his guilt trip recruitment tactics is super interesting and super slimy. Um, Especially because like both the main girls have this moment where they're like, I think my life is okay. I can't really think of anything I'd risk, you know, my life for. Um, and Cuba right away is like, well, how interesting. All the other girls sort of something right away, uh, which makes them feel like there's something wrong with them. And Sayaka has this whole monologue where she's like, maybe I'm, you know, I'm blissfully ignorant because I have not suffered and that makes me a bad person. I'm like, no, don't listen. Like, it's so transparently, like... <laughs> Kube felt like he was going to sell me Tupperware from a TV ad. I do not <laughs> trust him. I don't trust him at all. I Well, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't mean to gender Kube like that because even mean little cat-like monsters that trick teenagers into like whatever he's trying to do, um, they deserve to be gendered right. And I believe Kube is gendered as they. So I, they, they think Kube subs use he, I think, but I don't know if the... if. This was from an era before they were paying attention to whether. I, uh, I I would say it was because this was pre this was pre twenty twelve Tumblr, which is when I feel like a lot of the internet really started to jump on the bandwagon of gendering things differently. So I'm gonna say that it probably was a time of like he and she mm-hmm. versus you know the fact that we all are aware that like that's not all there is yeah. to gender like, um is from space so like who knows i have in my notes yeah. that cubay looks like a haunted neopets doll <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's such a good design it's it the, the manga added expressions to cubie and i feel like that fundamentally misses the point yeah, yeah because the whole point is that cubay doesn't emote mm-hmm. like yes, that's, that's what, what makes, makes them, them so weird. good uh-huh. Yeah, that they can't. They have this little like kind of coy smile of like, "Hey, what's up? Maybe I stole your parking spot. Maybe I didn't." <laughs> but like adding emotion to Cube just takes away the unease that they instill from the moment they show up on the scene. Cube might not have a gender, but they do have the strong energy of a reply guy on the internet asking me for my <laughs> yeah. facts and you logic. Know what, you know what, Cube would absolutely play devil's advocate on twitter i mean kubay's part of the devil so yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i mean kubay would absolutely quote retweet you to like their fan base and (gasps) 
<laughs> That's some demonic energy if there ever was some. But Kubei would oh. also, you know, like kind of find a way to single you out and not like other girls you and put you on a pedestal all the more to, you know, tear you down and take your soul gym when the time comes. Yeah. I just, Y'all, yeah. I don't think we like Kubei, do we? <laughs> Kubei is an exceptional villain because mm-hmm. they are so, like, their morality is on a completely different spectrum to anything that is from planet earth and regular society (laughs) which makes them a super interesting antagonist because i guess we can get more into this in the second half but i was gonna say uh, we're gonna have to come back to that given some things in the back half but in any case like by episode six though like the faustian allegory is very much um so i feel like it's okay for me to (laughs) to 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 play on that because yeah you get that episode six twist and it's like oh we sold our souls and i'm like hmm wonder if that's an allegory for anything um <laughs> like yeah uh but yeah because i go, i y'all i forgot that monica yeeted sayaka's soul into a garbage <laughs> oh, truck oh god that scene is burned into my memory it's i so forgot i mean monica grabs it and she short of being like yeet tosses it like perfect three-point shot into a trash truck and like Sayaka just falls to the ground and like then Kyubei's just like oh yeah there's like a hundred meter radius on that which again so, that scene is so don't do it. that scene is so <laughs> scary because Kyubei delivers all the information so just like matter of factly when it's yeah. like the most terrifying thing these girls have ever heard so I, again you get that juxtaposition yeah that really enhances the horror yeah. without going for like the gore of it all, you know? I have, I have to tell you, Kyubei's instructions feel like trying to put together an Ikea shelf. I never know what I'm doing <laughs> and I really wish I had more information, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, cause he could have, Kyubei, you could have told these children, oh, by the way, you're going to want to keep this on you at all times because it's mm. your literal like soul essence. Well, but as, instead, Cubay's as... like, oh, I forgot. Well, <laughs> as by they the way. say, though, they're just like, man, everyone always reacts so unnecessarily and so over the top when I say this. So I, I just don't because it's easier. And it's like, well, yeah, again, it's a sign of their inhumanity that like, of course, these people right. are reacting this way. Of course, these teenagers are reacting this way. But Cubay is just on another plane, which, again, really... <laughs> That midpoint twist really enhances it like, oh, oh this yeah. we are now in a realm that is deeply unfamiliar and deeply beyond our control, which is what mm. which is the real horror of that. I was I might not think much of Madoka as a world changing genre commentary, but as horror, it is quite solid. Mm-hmm. It's it's a I and I really wish that Madoka had gotten codified as like a horror show. I'm sorry, I have really hard trouble saying that word and i know it just sounded not like horror it sounded like a not nice word <laughs> um oops i i wish it had gotten codified as a horror show more so than like a dark magical girl fantasy because it is terrifying it has a lot of implications in its world building that you're like oh that would be horrific if it happened to me mm-hmm. but as a dark show i'm not completely sold at this point on it Mm -hmm. being dark and i get more and more removed from that the older i get and the farther we get away and the more shows that we have coming out that actually are 
Um, the one I always think about is Tokyo Mew Mew is a much mm. darker show than Madoka where like, spoiler, the main heroine dies by suicide to save her boyfriend, um, which is much grimmer, I think, than Madoka where like the deaths we've witnessed so far have largely been out of their hands. Yeah, there's an interesting thing of most uh, of a lot of dark elements in Magical Girls versus Madoka where a lot of the darker elements are character are like internal relation, you know, interpersonal. There we go. Interpersonal relationship based um, issues like in Magic Knight Ray Earth or the emotion powers in Tutu or the uh, the self-sacrifice themes in Sailor Moon S. Whereas in Madoka, it is that they are specifically being acted on by this outside system and the girls are reacting with horror to Right. These things that are happening at them, which I think is what got picked up on by a lot of its lesser followers were just that we need cute, passive girls who are being bludgeoned by the horrors of the world. Right. And I and I think if you if you combine what you just said with the horror allegory, the actual terror is that these young teenage girls have no bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. That is the actual horror of the show. They literally are puppeted and they don't know why but they have no bodily autonomy and that to me is far more horrific than like mommy getting eaten or (laughs) i mean clearly i think i had a a much funnier reaction to the sayaka's soul getting eaten scene wherein i laughed (laughs) um (laughs) but like to me the fact that they have no control over their bodies is a much more relatable horror especially if you grew up as someone who was female or you know assigned female that is a much more relatable horror to understand Mm -hmm. that like in the real world you don't also have control over your body if you're assigned female or woman yeah which makes much scarier which makes again like just to bring it back to the sayaka fan club of me (laughs) sayaka oh i know sayaka's my girl girl. (laughs) like yeah like to connect all this together yeah sayaka kind of works really well as an allegory for that whole business like obviously she has that more surface level thing of she is here trying to be an ideal superhero hero of justice in a world where it just doesn't work and she gets beat up which again you know you can see Urobochi doing his thing because he also deals with that a lot in for example fate zero obviously hadn't got it out of his system um but there's an undercurrent that's really interesting where yeah if you take this is a gendered story which it is because they chose to do magical girls then yeah it becomes this extra story about how you know the expectations of society um and the equation of self-sacrifice with goodness in a very black and white way that leads her to she does what she thinks she's supposed to both as a hero and as a healer and as, you know, mm-hmm. the the girl of violin boy's dreams. Um, and she gives up her soul. She gives up her bodily autonomy and yeah. falls into the, the trap of exactly what this system wants. So I don't mm-hmm. think it's totally one-on-one to say that, like, Cubay's whole deal represents patriarchy. I think it goes even oh, more cosmic yeah. than that. But yeah. the allegory definitely rings true. Yeah. I do have to say... <laughs> I repeatedly kept saying to myself, Sayaka, men are not worth it. Because <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's such a thankless job, even before 
everything that happens that we'll discuss next time happens. It's so like, you know, I'm like, can you come and just please tell her that she can volunteer at an animal shelter or something to get this out of her system instead (laughs) of... Listen, (laughs) if she hadn't sold her soul, she would never have met her girlfriend. So six of one. Uh, Yeah, but sometimes it works out like that. I just want to reiterate, if you're a woman out there listening, men are not worth selling your soul to. Don't do it. <laughs> Which, okay. Just... Like, go, I don't know, go buy a nice fruit basket or something. <laughs> or watch Fruits Basket. Um, I, the anime. Um, that also has some men that aren't worth it. Okay, in that's it, true. That's this true. is not the Fruits Basket podcast. Go no, buy yourself not. a bar of chocolate. Like, men yeah. aren't worth it. Don't well, give up your soul, Jim, for a man. <laughs> I feel like that, that take that for what you need to take that ass. But yeah, poor Sayaka is just like, oh. she does meet her girlfriend though, which is great. Which and is, I, I love Kyoko so much. Oh yes, we haven't given love ourselves her. much time to talk about Kyoko, but Kyoko is really I, good. There'll be plenty of time to talk about Kyoko next time. I will yeah. say I also, I, I do want to shout out how much I appreciated Madoka on this watch. It's just like, I, I, I live with a Madoka disliker, so I know all about the criti- criticisms, and I truly think they are valid, but... Oh no, who doesn't like Madoka? My wife oh. sat through the whole series for me, and she truly, truly dislikes it, because she felt like... She she never felt like she got invested in the characters, and that she was just kind of watching this puppetry at work to feel a thing. That's some real love for you, that... She uh-huh. sat through it. Wow. She did. Bake her a cake. Get her a fruit basket. Hell yes. <laughs> but I do appreciate how much Madoka, who I who when it was airing, I recall, got dinged with a lot of the same criticisms as Shinji, that she's like passive and annoying, but I really value her this watch around as this unflaggingly empathetic force that also isn't necessarily as destructive. As, as Sayaka's wrote, because she she is steadfastly there. and She's not offering to do things for you, but she's offering to be there with you, which I feel like is this crucial distinction the show is making. It really is. And I, I have to say, Monica is a really good protagonist because she is very much so a average girl who really just wants to feel important. And mm-hmm. I don't know what teenager doesn't feel that. She's just good. She's just good. 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 Want to give her a hug. <laughs> Yes, poor exactly. Child. That's basically it's what I was going to say. The the benefit of distance, like, you know, age-wise and time-wise means that, yeah, I look at these kids, I'm like, these are kids. And Madoka, honestly, all things considered, she's handling trauma realistically, but also really well. Like, she's doing good. And the fact that, you know, she she keeps trying to do good and help people, even if she makes mistakes along the way, for example, yeeting a soul gem. But you know, she didn't know. That, was this was this pre yeet becoming like part of the lexicon? Oh, it was the- oh yes, yes, it was pre yeet. Oh wow! See, we're in the pre yeet era. This is really <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we we well, I mean, this was also before like Tumblr really took off. This was before Twitter really took off as the platform it is. Yeah, I mean, this is this isn't a very different. This is really, I would argue, a really different era of the internet. We're just coming off of like. What I guess right now we're in Web 3.0, if I'm correct. I don't know. We're in oh, yeah. 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 Oh my god. Yeah. We're we're in Web 3.0. So like 
Well, no, that I guess that would have been Web 3.0. I think we're in Web 4.0, probably, where like the web was making this really big transition to become a much more intelligent internet with not not necessarily people. Um, oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Keep that in. Um, but it's a much it's a much more intelligent internet with more predictive elements that with with the algorithms as we know them. So Monica kind of sits at this really interesting shift that we went through that. You know, like, yeah, this was pre-Yeet. It was pre-Tumblr <laughs> becoming a big thing. It was pre, pre-archive pre of our own being the massive thing that it is now, I would even argue. so. Yeah, it existed, but it was still a baby little site. Yeah, if, you wanted, if you want a flavor of how different the internet was when Madoka came out, uh, it was when you re- regular people still hung out on 4chan occasionally and not just right-wing reactionaries because the single funniest Madoka parody of all time came from 4chan and it is being Megaka is suffering. Yes, I was gonna say like, that anyone else remember right. that because that is like yeah. some shit from that is still in my vernacular today. It's still like, so like, funny. Someone funny. overtook me on the highway like yesterday and my immediate reaction was like, why this? Like... <laughs> It's yeah, so I mean, fucking funny. My city now. <laughs> exactly. Like my my city now is like legit. It's common lexicon on like, you oh know, especially like fandom discussions. Someone's like, oh, the writer did something you didn't care about, you didn't care for. My city now. Um Yeah, I mean, it's from this very different era, right? And it, and I think it's neat, like as a microcosm. And if someone ever wants to write about like Modica and fandom and how like that whole engagement happened, like, please do. I would love to see that, um, that but it is. I, and look, I'll even throw in mine. Monica's so old that I was still writing on fanfiction.net, and I did write <laughs> fanfiction <laughs> on fanfiction.net of my ship for the series. Um, so I mean, you know, like it's 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 a much older series when you think of it like that, and it and I think that explains its influence, right? And we've talked about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, like in internet time, this is an ancient series practically, which yeah. it just makes its staying power even more impressive, really. it The fact that people this year were like, when are we getting Modica Part 2? Like, when are we getting more? It's 10 years. When are, what, what are we getting? And, and I think we'll talk about in the back half about, and maybe perhaps in the third episode we do of... Oh yeah, we're doing the movie, people. Yeah, I think we'll talk about maybe why franchises don't necessarily need more... Um, mm. Yeah. Indeed. Or, I feel like, yeah, we'll, we'll get and, into that. And I'll, I'll even say it might not even be because of the movie. It might be because of the anime that released last year that everyone has forgotten about. Uh, Magia Record sure exists, huh? I, Does yeah, it I watched the first couple episodes and it was a very surreal experience because like, I would have these little bursts of serotonin, but they were all when like it played part of the soundtrack or like reference something that gave me nostalgia for the original and I was like this show cannot sustain itself on this alone it just can't I don't I don't want to see it fail so I just I didn't watch it I I will say much like 2020 Magico record did not spark joy <laughs> <laughs> that's fair all right we were just a little bit over an hour so i gotta bring us in for Let's a landing shut this down i think that's yes. a good place to wrap up for today as well i think we've we've come all the we've covered being maguka is suffering so i'm happy <laughs> <laughs> fuck yes all right well next time we will be watching episodes 7 through 12 Thank you so much for joining us, AnaFam. If you liked what you heard, you can find more of us on our website, AnimeFeminist.com. 
If you really liked what you heard, consider going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash animefeminist and checking us a dollar a month. Every little bit really helps to continue making the site more accessible to more folks and to just continue paying our editors and contributors who all work extremely hard to bring content to your eyeballs, ear holes, or whatever it is you need to use to access <laughs> our good, good thoughts. You can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook at Anime Femme. We are on Tumblr at Anime Feminist. And we are on Twitter at Anime Feminist. We'll see you next time, Anna Fam. And remember, do not eat your friends. Bye.